Petersfield's Shine Radio. Hello, dog lovers. You're with me, Kate Fairweather, and welcome to Dogs with Jobs, with a podcast that celebrates the hard workers of the canine world. And boy, do I have a treat for you this month. This month, we're meeting not one, but a couple of working hounds. I'm pretty excited about this for a few reasons. Firstly, because it's a historic breed. The English foxhound, you know, the ancestors of the two that we're meeting today, came over with William the Conqueror way back in 1066. It's a breed and it's a function that has always been with us and you don't often get a peek into this world um, these days. So that's one reason for being excited. Second reason is that most dogs in these times that we live in, are living as part of a small human family unit. And that's how we do live with dogs these days. These hounds, by contrast, are operating as part of a big canine pack. In this case, around 80 hounds, uh, which is a lot. And it's a completely different contrasting type of working life that these hounds are living, which is why I thought it was so interesting. And I'm absolutely thrilled to be talking about hounds today. So enough of me. Get yourself settled. Let's dive in. Right then, it's a bracing November morning. You can probably hear the crunch of gravel. I'm off to see Carolyn, who's been in charge of breeding hounds for a local pack for the last 40 years. It was quite something. I think so anyway. And uh, here we are. We're going to hop in and say hello and go and meet the hounds. Hoping she hears the door. Hello, gorgeous. <laughs> Come on in. Flora, Thank get you. out of the way. Come on, Flora. <laughs> Hi, how are you? Very well. So I'm with Carolyn, who is here to introduce us to her hound puppies that you have at the moment that I've just met that were gorgeous. Their names are? Debit and Dervish. Debit and Dervish. <laughs> Dervish's and Debit's mother was called Daytime. Um, so we named them D's. Sometimes you can name them after the dog if you've got too many um, hands in the pack that already begin with D. Right. And I'm just trying to... Um, the dam was called Dovetail. Okay. And the, and the dog hound was called Devon, so both the dog and the bitch began with D, so that was quite easy for that litter. You have to have two syllables always. That's the rules of the um, association. You can't call it Fred or Spot. It always has to have two syllables. And um, and also, I try to pick up the first um, vowel, which in this case were um, A, so you know they're all the same litter, so Major, Marksman, Mabel, Magpie, Magnet, they all go M-A. It just helps to identify the litters, because when you've got, um, say, 38, 40 up couple in the kennel, that means 80 hands, it's quite a lot to remember them all the huntsmen and the whipper in who look after the hounds they obviously get to know them quite quickly and people often say how on earth can you learn them and I said well think of a teacher at school they look at the classroom full of little people on the first day of term and think I'm never going to know who they all are (laughs) by the end of the week they know them all it's amazing how they learn them because you're with them all the time and you begin to identify them sometimes you know, you think, oh gosh, which one's that? When they're very alike, like Debit and Dervish, they're so alike. It's sometimes you have to think which one is which. Um, but that's roughly um, sort of how we go about naming hounds. 
I've uh, named most of them over the last 40 years. 40 years? 40 years I've been breeding these hounds, yes. Wow. So um, it's a fascinating world and it's full of um, ifs, buts, whys and wherefores. But basically when you start breeding hounds, you've got to consider your country. It's no good breeding, you know, big dogs that would, you know, go well on sort of plough say, on the east of the country, when you're living, say, up in Cumbria with the fells, and you've got to have something far more athletic and much lighter framed with a sort of amazing hind leg which will take them up one side of the fells and down the other. And here in Hampshire, we've got a little bit of... No, we haven't got any fells, but we've got a bit of everything, you know, plough, grass and woodland. So we have what we would call a fairly classic modern English foxhound, which is... um, the, the sort of hound you would see in most pictures today. Um, their breeding all goes back to, um, again, what I call the classic English foxhound, which has emerged over the um, last century from a fairly heavy hound. And gradually, thanks to somebody called Ike Bell, who introduced the Welsh hounds, we got a much lighter framed hound and one that moved far more easily. Um, and uh, that that's... So presumably it's a balance then, is it? What, what, what are you looking for well, when you're, you're really looking, looking at the perfect hound for, for, say, Hampshire and the South Down yes. area? When you're looking for a hound, you one of the things you must remember is you breed, you should breed your the hounds for the country you live in. It's a little easy sometimes to be slightly sidetracked when you see a lovely hound winning at one of the major shows. And you think, oh, he's very smart, I'll send one of my bitches to him. But their country might be completely different to yours. There are what we call cold-scenting countries, that's heavy plough, um, whereas you get very light countries where it's grassland, which is a much better scenting country, and therefore you probably want a slightly lighter frame, faster hound, because... Um, they will cover the, the, the crunchy so much more quickly and more easily than, as I say, the old plough or the, um, the in, and in the woodlands too, which is um, always changing what with the leaf foliage and all, all that sort of thing. So um, you, um, it's quite difficult to explain. Um, so that's, that's about their physicality, isn't it? About how they move and how they scent. Yes. I mean, when, when you're judging hounds, people often say, oh, you know, you can't judge how good they are at their job. No, of course you can't, but you do judge them on how they move, whether their conformation is good. Um, you know, if they're short and what we call short and cobby, they're probably going to move like a horse, like a cob, mm. um, slower, heavier, whereas if they're what we call stripped and thinner, they'll move more like a racehorse. But that, as I said earlier, that doesn't mean to say that that's the ideal hand for your country, um, because you may not have that mild, beautiful, open grassland. You may be, um, you know, going around little um, heavy ploughed fields and, and um, into woodlands, and therefore you need a slightly steadier hand. So can I ask, um, because I very kindly was invited and came along to the opening meet, the first meet back in November, and what I was surprised by, I guess, is that the look of the hounds varied hugely. Now, as I was looking at them as a complete amateur, knowing nothing about it at all, I was taken with the fact that you had maybe one or two that were longer coated. You had one particularly that was very dark tan with black, almost like a Rottweiler classic colouring. And then you had others that were 
um, like your two gorgeous. Um, I've kind of forgotten their names. Devitt and Dervish. Devitt and Dervish, who are beautiful and exactly what I imagined a foxhound would look like. Because the, the kind of, I think one has a picture in one's head of what they look like, which is leggy and these pale kind of uh, sort of colours with a little bit of tan. But I did think when I saw them the other day that they did seem physically quite similar. They seemed quite long in the leg and quite big in the chest, which I assume is good for all the cardio they do. Plenty of heart room, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and lungs. Yes. One of the lovely things about the hunting world is if you are in short of hands, you can almost ring any pack in the country um, and say, have you got a couple of you know young hounds or even whelps when that's very young before they just about to go out to walk at eight weeks old. Um, and 99% of hunts will say, of course, we'll, you know, we've got a couple of lovely butchers, dogs, whichever you want, and they will give them to us. You hounds are never bought or sold. They are only given. And um, so the reason that um, we, had a, we have a little bit of a variety at the moment is because over the last 10 years we have had to have hands from other packs, which is always interesting because then you can sort of add, work out and think, just our own aren't so bad after all. Um, <laughs> and um, it, it's interesting to see hands that have come down, say, from the Bista hunt, which is sort of up in, in well, not quite in the Midlands, or they might have come up, um, they may have come from a pack in Wales, and that's where you get the bro- what we call the broken coat, the slightly rougher coat. And even if you're hounds that you're actually breeding at the moment from they might have had an ancestor going back four or five generations that had this welsh blood in them and suddenly out of nowhere you get some hounds with what we call whiskers or a bit woolly and that goes all the way back to the origins of some welsh hounds that perhaps were introduced to the pack perhaps 60 50 years ago um and and that's why at the moment our hounds do look we have some other and also we have had um, one or two hounds when you get a new huntsman he might bring a couple of old favourites from the pack that he was at before and therefore they're not quite the same as ours because they might be bigger, smaller, may have this sort of tan colour. We in the past were predominantly whitish hounds more because of the breeding not because of choice um, and then suddenly you get somebody arrives with a you know black, what we call almost a black and tan and it stands out in our pack because we don't have many of those. Okay. And so when, when um, I'm going to have to write these down, Debit and Dervish. I'll start that again. Um, so what? how long will Debit and Dervish stay with you? They came to you at eight well, weeks, ten weeks? When, they, when they're born at the kennels, mm. um, they then go out what we call to walk, and they go out to people who are willing to take a couple... Um, and they usually go out when they're about eight weeks old. And, of course, for the first few weeks, they're absolutely enchanting and they're cuddly and they, pop, you know, they wander <laughs> They are so, you. so pretty, they I have so to pretty. say. Yes, they are so gorgeous. pretty, which we shouldn't really say about how pretty, <laughs> but they are. They're enchanting when they're small. And then they grow. And why you have them away from the kennels is they need to learn their name. They need to learn that the house cat's probably going to scratch them on the nose and the ponies in the paddock will probably kick them if they're not careful, and that the car, when you're reversing it out of the barn, will probably run them over if they don't get out of the way. They learn discipline, 
um, they learn to go on leads because when hounds are uh, before they start their hunting i.e. in their first year when they go back to the kennels you couple a young hound to an old hound and that's where you get the term couples that's a two collars which are joined together by a link and when they are out on exercise that's the huntsman walking the hounds out on exercise he has a young hound that's come back from say here being when Debish and dervish go back to the kennels they will then be coupled to an old hound and when the huntsman says over and that's when he's walking along the road and he might need somebody out walking or a bicycle or a car and he'll say over the old hounds know that means over get over by the hedge and the young hound has to go as well because it's coupled to the old hound <laughs> and so they learn quite quickly um to do uh, what they what the older hound does and um and then eventually after probably about you know three weeks or something like that you undo the coupled and you hope that they won't go dis- disappearing over the horizon they'll stay with the pack and if they feel a little nervous or a bit unsure you couple them back again for another week perhaps but they very quickly learn and it's amazing how disciplined they are walking with the huntsman you meet sometimes people with you know out walking their dog on the lead and they're going i can't hold on to it and they said how do you cope with those lot you know, <laughs> sort of 40 hands and they do exactly what you tell them um but it's only routine that's taught them that so these um Derbit and dervish here have been here for about um five four or five months now and they will go back to the kennels before too long because there comes a moment when they outgrow their um place that they've gone to walk some people can keep them a long time if you've got a lovely orchard like I have that's fenced um, and a stable and a, other people have to cope with perhaps just a stable and then take them out for walks and there comes a moment usually in about November when the mud gets muddier <laughs> and they of course all hound puppies love everybody so they want to jump all over you and and everything so the mud and the size of them they get very strong and boisterous there comes a moment when you perhaps ring up the huntsman and say, I think it's time they came back. And he'll say, when, madam, when? Uh, no, please, could you come and get them? Um, and it's always sad, and people often say, oh, how can you part with them? Very easily, I can assure you. But you know that you will probably have another couple next year. So um, it, it's... Uh, it's it, puppy, people who walk puppies are a bit of a breed of their own. They, they, they love it, and they accept all the the mud, the, the endless feeding, the, you know, them getting out, all that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, if, if, if you can cope with that, that's what puppy walkers are all about. And tell me, Carolyn, do you know all the puppies that you've walked when you see them in the pack now? And no. do they know? No, no. I have to confess that um, I, I, I have walked over 100 puppies um, over the years but I don't really remember them that well I know one ought to and they don't actually remember you funnily enough you always think they're going to love you forever but once they go back to the kennels their whole world then revolves around the huntsman and the whipper in and you become irrelevant almost I um, mean you like to think they're going to remember you but they I don't think they really do <laughs> <laughs> um, so with uh, Debit and Dervish how I mean they're five months you said they're they were born in um June okay and so they're 
they got that leggy adolescence yes, look, to I my see. eye. Yes, mm. it, one of them particularly, I would say, is going to be a leggy blonde. Yeah. She's, uh, she is quite leggy. But they won't furnish up until they're probably, you know, second season or two, three years old now. But like, you know, all adolescents, they're all legs and what have you. And then suddenly they blossom a bit and, and the hound puppies do the same. Um, so how do you, I mean, how, do, how will they be introduced back to the pack? I mean, do you do you open the door of the kennels and they stroll in, or is it a process? No, unfortunately, it's a bit brutal. It's a bit like sending your children to boarding school. The day they go back, um, we all shed a few tears, and then that's it. They'll go back to the kennels, and the huntsman will um, let them out of, of the van and t- put them onto one of the quieter yards. There, the kennels have about four separate yards, and that's some for the dog hands, some for the bitches. Some for the hands that perhaps have, you know, they injure their feet on the flints, which you get in Hampshire a lot. Or you may have the, what we call the hot bitches, that's the bitches that are in season that have to be kept separately. So the young hands would be put in perhaps with some of the hands that aren't working at the moment. And, you know, it is a little bit brutal. Here as they've been loved and cuddled and spoilt, and suddenly they have to have this discipline where... You know, they're, every morning they're put out into the grass run, the lodges are cleaned out. They're then, um, if they're going out on exercise, they will, probably not straight away, but as they get a bit older and stronger, they will, as I said earlier, be coupled to an old dog and they'll start to what we call walk out with the others. And then they'll come back to the kennels, they'll be let out of the lorry, then they'll be fed. And by that time, they're all quite happy to curl up and have a lovely snooze. Um, and then it, some of the major packs, the big packs, who've got, you know, more staff than most of us have, and probably in an area that's maybe, say, like Babington, in the middle of, you know, 50,000 acres, they will walk them out twice a day. We can't do that. Um, but um, so the puppies do learn. They fall in, it sounds like. They learn very quickly, yes. And believe it or not, I don't think they recognise their mothers. A bit like some children I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So the pack becomes their family and community. Absolutely. They Mm. are, exactly, that's the word, they are a pack animal. They are not individuals. And therefore, when they're introduced to the hunt, obviously it takes a season to them to settle down, to learn what they're out there for, um, to follow the trails, which the um, we have various people that lay these trails with a sort of smelly rag, and they go all out over the countryside, um, and the hounds have to learn to follow that. So for the first year, you know, they they've got their L plates on. Yeah, they absolutely they've got to learn, and they might sort of see um, something that takes their interest, which they shouldn't be, and you have to sort of say that's not right, but like you do with children. And then the second season, you look at them a bit more. Um, thoroughly and you think no that hand is not moving very well that one is perhaps not quite right and so you might get a call from as I said earlier another pack that is short of hands and you might feel that this one would suit them a little Mm. more than us and so you would what we call draft them we would give them to another pack Um, so there's a lot of cooperation going on oh it's the most wonderful network between hunts it's I went to America hunting simply because I met somebody quite by chance. Something came up about hunting, and this chap said, gosh, do you hunt? I said, yes. Well, you'd better come to America then. So some friends, we all we went to America on this one simple conversation, and we were welcomed. You, wherever you go in the world, if you meet people that love hunting, you've got friends. 
It is this wonderful network, and you tend to not talk about where do you live. You don't say, do you live in Dorset or Yorkshire? Oh, I live in the, you know, the Beaufort country, or I live in the Beedale country. And to a hunting person, you know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> um, so, um, so when they're hitting their second season, they're physically mature, aren't they? Yes, yes. And that's when you're starting to work out how suited they are to your to, to the local country or terrain um, and can start making decisions, presumably, about which are going to work more. Yes. I mean, obviously, you, you try mm. to breed... You, if you can breed from your own hands, then, of course, you know mm. you would only breed from the hands that you know are good. Mm. But... All hunts are different size. I mean, some hunts have probably 100 hounds in kennels. We probably have about 60, 70, no more, sometimes less than that. Mm-hmm. And most of them are related, so you can't um, perhaps always breed from your own stock, so you then have to go uh, to another hunt. But you do have to bear in mind, you know, it's very much horses for courses. Mm-hmm. And just because you've heard there's the most fabulous dog up in Cumbria that is absolute star up there on the fells, he probably wouldn't be suitable for um, down here on the on the grassland. So you, you do need to do your homework and make sure that the, um, the type of hound is suitable for your country and that you, you use a, a dog hound, um, or if you might be given a lovely bitch. But again, it's quite useful if it's your stamp of hound. So that's why you can often talk about... Um, for instance, in Ireland, there's an amazing pack called the Scartine or the Black and Tans, and they're all black and tan, these hands. Um, and they're very peculiar to the Scartine. Um, there was a pack up in, um, in um, on, on the borders, the Dugfisha. They were mm. black and tan as well. Um, so if you suddenly see a black and tan hand amongst your own lot, you think it's either perhaps what we call a draft or maybe somewhere back in its pedigree, that sort of type of hand was used. Um, Fascinating. And tell me, when they're in the kennels, I wanted to ask, someone asked me to ask this actually, (laughs) is there such a thing as alpha behaviour within the pack? Because from what you've been talking about, I mean, this is incredibly unusual in 2021 for a hound or any dog to live in groups of more than small family groups. So, there's something very distinctive about the way these hounds are living. So I'm curious, is there some? Is there a particular hound in charge? How do the relationships within the pack work? Do you notice anything there or do they just all get on? Well, one likes to think they all get on. But again, going back to the schoolroom, there's always going to be the bully. There's always going to be the shy one. Mm. Um, and that's the huntsman's responsibility to... Um, see that and address it now if there is occasionally it's pretty rare but occasionally you do get one dog hound that can be a bit aggressive and you'll hear when you're looking at them sometimes quite you'll suddenly hear a, a growl and the hunter will say that's enough whatever he's called you know goodman or anything you like um whatever other name you might like to come up with um you know it might be a dog called mandrake so he'll say that's enough mandrake (laughs) (laughs) and he will be quiet because they respect the huntsman's voice again Mm -hmm. you might get um a shy one particularly you'd get a shy dog every now and again but not quite so often but the bitches sometimes can be a little bit shy um and that means that they are not, not quite as 
confident in, you know, when you go off and load up in the morning the, the hounds to go out on exercise or to go hunting, they might just hesitate a bit and then the hunts will very gently say, you know, come on, um, well, I hope it won't be Dervish in a few years' time, come on, <laughs> Dervish, and she'll then, because he spoke to her, she will go on. Yeah. They don't always, sometimes they hang back a little bit when they're feeding. Mm. Um, again, they're very like children, but, you know, as you so rightly said, it is very unusual to have a pack of dogs, hounds today, because people don't. Mm. <laughs> um and so they're like people. They're always shy ones. They're always the cocky ones. They're always the, the busy ones. There's always the gentle ones. But that's what makes a pack. Mm. And when you're actually hunting and we're out sort of hunting the trail, it's no good having every hound that's going to be up the front because they might have... The trail layers are quite clever and they probably lift the trail. And so these sharp, keen hounds, I think they know it all, are right out in front. But hang on a minute, they trail ladies might have gone to the side so you want a slightly steadier hound that might just what we call feather around sniffing and suddenly they'll pick up and the huntsman again will learn their voices and suddenly some old hound will go woof woof and it might be say mandrake and he'll know mandrake is steady and to be trusted and so he'll probably call the other hounds back and lay them on the line that mandrake has picked up and away we go again so there's a lot of it albeit light control over the direction of the hounds by the huntsman when they're out very much so yes yes I mean you can't just let, let them you know yeah. rampage all over the place they're out to do a particular thing I mean in today's hunting world it's really um obviously we all know it's changed but the the fun most people hunt because they love their horses they love to frighten themselves over the jumps or they might be very happy just to go around quietly around the edge of a wood and sit and watch and wait and see if the hounds pick up the line. So basically, hunting today is the most wonderful, privileged cross-country ride that you wouldn't be on that lovely land if it wasn't for the generosity of the landowners and the farmers, which we all have to uh, ask if we can go there or wait to be invited. You don't just turn up. You have to lay it out months beforehand and it's thanks to the generosity of the landowners and farmers that we can go. And you'll never do any other sport that allows you on private land with your horse to have the most wonderful day. And, you know, everybody loves getting their horse ready, plaiting it up, cleaning their coats, polishing their boots. It's a, a respect to the landowner and also it's just a standard that we all adhere to and we love doing it it's no different from people putting on their whites for cricket or tennis or their skiing clothes that's what hunting people wear and that's why we all love doing it and the fact that there are a lovely pack of hounds in front of us as well is the icing on the cake (laughs) (laughs) well I'm very taken by them as as you know I think I told you I'm a hound obsessive because I have beagles myself Um, I wanted to ask you about the speaking and the voices and you mentioned just now that the huntsman might hear the distinctive voice of one particular hound that he knows to be a steady hound and trusts so how much individuality is there what about the noise should they be noisy should they not be noisy how describe that for me out hunting or do you mean in the kennels well i'm interested in both well no we don't want them noisy in the kennels because um, (laughs) most people unfortunately have a neighbor somewhere who has to i mean hunt kennels were 
there long before many, many houses. And mm-hmm. sadly, you get people who have a bit of a moan about it. But that's maybe early in the morning when they're get, getting up um, and going out or being fed. And But it's very short-lived. Okay. And, um, you know, it, it is... We call it singing, um, but um, and the huntsman again will say that's enough, you know, and they will quieten down. Um, and out hunting again, the huntsman, you know, he, he lives with them morning, noon, and night. He knows them all as individuals. Eventually, it takes a while to get to know them, and we have a new huntsman this year, so he's had to learn the whole pack. And you you begin to learn a voice, particularly if it's a hand that you trust, if you know that particular hound is always right when they know where the because the huntsman quite often knows where the trail's gone to start with um and so if he hears uh, the same hound perhaps two or three times over the course of a few weeks always speaking he'll know that it's you know perhaps it's a say a hound called primrose and he'll say you know heart to primrose or he'll say you know he'll know she's right so he'll cheer the hounds on a little bit um, or blow the horn, which is a sort of get on, get on, get on, get on, and the pack will go to her, um, and and that's how they do it. Um, again, it's a great skill his huntsmen have. I mean, I couldn't even begin to tell you um, what they who they are, but they that's their job, and that's how they learn, and then they begin to trust certain hounds. Um, you can get the opposite side of the situation where a, an older huntsman, perhaps who's you know, like everybody that's been in a job a long time, they may begin to feel that perhaps they're not quite as brave as they used to be. And so they will be very uh, hold a lot of value to an older hound that they can trust. Mm. And so sometimes the young hounds don't get quite the encouragement they need to start with. And this old hound is always right, and the huntsman learns to love a, an old hound. I had one huntsman who said to me, I said to him one day, which hound could you take to heaven? If you could just take one hound to heaven... And he said, oh, um, helpful, um, who was a lovely hound that I was given um, donkeys years ago. And she had some American blood in her. And she had some sisters called Helpful, Hopeful, Harlick, um, um, Homer, I can't remember all their names. Anyway, um, and, but she was always right. And the huntsman absolutely trusted her completely. And when I said to him, which hound could you take to heaven if you could take one? And he said that one but if you have so much faith in one of the older hounds you're not necessarily bringing on the younger hounds when it comes to succession and well so it's a balance again it feels like everything is a balance there's a lot of complexity to this isn't there no it would be very easy to just take out the hounds you know and love Mm. and and leave the others behind but then how do you choose which hounds to go out are you thinking in terms of well these guys haven't had any exercise and they need to you know should a hound go out once a week twice a week do you change them up ideally again or is that a question for it's a difficult one Mm. in a probably three times a fortnight so they're doing either one week two days in the week and another week only one day um, if you've got too many hounds, and like most packs now, we're only two days a week that we can go out. Early in the season, when we're teaching the young hounds and everything else, we probably do three mornings a week. Um, but um, so you, you would probably take them out. They're not going to learn anything by being left in the kennels. They yeah. have to go out. They mm-hmm. have to learn, and not only just learn to follow the trail. They've got to learn all sorts of things, like 
you know, um, going, getting loaded into the lorry to start with. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's quite awesome for a young hound to suddenly be put into the back of a horse box with, you know, 25 other hounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but they learn that very quickly. They've got to learn to hack to the meat. Say you unbox the horses and the hounds half a mile from the meat, they have to learn to then trot on behind the huntsman's horse um, along the road till you get to where we're meeting. Um, they've got to learn the different calls on the horn, which might mean sometimes they might, you know, smell something a bit more interesting than the trail and they might want to follow it. And you have to blow a rather coarse note on the horn. So they think, oh, that's not good. Mm. And they will stop mm. um, and they'll come back. They need to learn there's a very long, sad note, which is at the end of the day. And they know that. And they seem to sort of come to the huntsman's horse then. I'd forgotten the horn and the commands. They actually have quite a set of cues, don't yes, they? Yes, yes, yes. Um, and if everyone else in the pack is following the cues, yes, then they'll follow them they, too. They, they pick it up. I mean, as mm. I say, they, they, we're hunting a pack, not individual hounds. Mm. So you do need them to hunt together. It's no good having one hand that does this and another does that. Yes, of course, in a pack, they all have their own qualities, but you need to, they need to gel together to um, make your pack solid. I mean, it's a lovely expression when they're all, you know, hunting the, the line brilliantly, and if they're all together, and you, the old thing is you could drop a handkerchief over them all, they're all together. Um, so you don't want one in the next county and one left behind on the road. They've all no. got to be together. Um, and do you notice when you're out hunting? Because I, I've just seen a couple of demonstrations at, at country shows where a trail's been laid within the yes. circle of grass, you know, and they're trotting around, and then once they find it, the movements shift, and yes, it, yes. there's a fluidity to the movement of all of them when they're on a trail that is absent when they're milling around, and it's a strange alchemical. Yes, well, they, they, again, I suppose because they they know that the trail is what they're supposed to be following. So, you know, if a, oh, I don't know, a motorbike goes back, goes past with, you know, fumes, they'll go like that, and they know it's not right. Mm. Or if um, somebody arrives with their own dog, not a, a hand, a, 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 you know, a dog, and they'll go up to say, hmm, who are you? No, you're not one of us, you know what I mm. mean? It's instinct. I mean, hounds hunt by scent, not by sight. Um, so unlike, say, the sheepdog, which hunts, um, which works on command. Because, of course, collies are used for scent work all the time yes, in yes, search yes, and rescue yes. and many other contexts. Right, they've yes, got it yes. and they've got the speed. Yes. I don't think a foxhound would make a very good rescue dog. <laughs> we're all enthusiastic, I think. I'd probably lick the poor victim to death. I have to say... <laughs> Debit and Dervish were, I mean, they're incredibly lively and boisterous, yes, aren't they? Yes, but they're, again, as I say, they're teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. They will settle down, we hope, over the years. <laughs> Thank you. That, it's been an amazing insight into the breeding and the running of the pack. And, uh, and I must say, I would love a couple of gorgeous foxhounds in my back garden. <laughs> Watch your dress, I'll be right tomorrow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Dogs With Jobs. I hope you've enjoyed it and found that informative. We had a whole conversation that ranged 
further over bloodlines and history. And if that's something that interests you, please come back to the website because I will be publishing that as a companion piece. Next edition of Dogs with Jobs will drop on the last Tuesday of December, after Christmas that is, and um, I'll be introducing you to a truffle hound. Any suggestions or introductions, please keep them coming. I love to hear from you and any feedback is most welcome. Until then, have a great month. Thanks for listening. Your favourite Christmas carols are coming to your doorstep. Next Wednesday night, it's Doorstep Carols on Petersfield Shine Radio. Sing along with the radio to all your Christmas favourites. Grab a copy of this week's Petersfield Post for all the sing-along words and then turn up Shine Radio next Wednesday night at 6. All you need is your best singing voice, the words from the Petersfield Post, Shine Radio turned up loud, oh, and a doorstep, that would help. Doorstep carols. Sing along with the radio next Wednesday night at 6 on Petersfield Shine Radio. See you on the doorstep.